Good evening, 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 evening. We got Claire, we got Kylie, Matthew, Aga, Ray, Eliza. Sorry, just going to give people a few more seconds, maybe a few minutes to join and also connect to their audio so that everyone can hear. Lovely, 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 lovely. Everyone got their tea, everyone. Hopefully you had your dinner already to have a chat for a whole hour just on gas. I know I did, I eat very quickly. Um, lovely, okay, one minute past. So, good evening, my name is Stanford. I am a medical doctor specialized in psychiatry and also maternal health. Um, also yoga teacher and also yoga therapist training under Colin Dinsmuel. Um, so today we are gonna talk a little bit about flatulence, so gases. Uh, we got some amazing, amazing people behind the scene uh, monitoring the chat the whole time. I will try to keep an eye on the chat also. So if you've got any questions during the webinar, please don't be shy, just uh, pop into the chat, make sure that we get, um, I, they get incorporated into the webinar as we go along. Great, Colin, your turn. Oh, hi, my name's Colin. Um, I didn't choose a subject matter for this um, webinar. I just wanted to look hey. straight away. Um, it had nothing to do with me. I would never have chosen something like this. I'm joking. Um, my name's Colin. I'm a, I'm a yoga teacher, yoga teacher trainer, yoga therapist. Um, I've been working with people for one-to-one -one for roughly about 20 years. Um, and I'm really excited to be doing these webinars with um, Stanford. The reason being is that it's so good to be able to share all the experience that we have and to show how yoga views something, how Western medicine views something, and also to begin to sort of inspire us that actually we can use yoga's tools to find a way forwards and, and really help people. Um, so can I ask a question to you, first of all, Stanford? Go um, ahead. Um, Without me giggling a lot, you know, because she's, you know, flatulence. Could you, how, what, what, why is it a condition? What's, um, what is flatulence? I mean, do you mind me asking? As always, no. My, my answer on the webinar would be no. Um, so flatulence is a condition, but I don't think we should quite uh, classify it as an illness or any ailments at all. Um, it's a condition because it's one of the human emotions that we do all the time. Um, on an average day, each human being, human adult, I should say, adult humans, uh, passes win about five to 15 times on average. So that's roughly tally up to about 500 mil to about 1.5 liters. Um, so it is a normal human, bodily function, but at the same time, it can be a signal, especially if the frequency change, the smell change, any other associating symptoms with especially bowel problems and things like that, that can slowly become a signal of uh, ill health. How about you, Colin? What do you think in terms of yoga? It, for us, it's also a very natural process as well. So it's a, it's a byproduct of the, either the pre, during or post-digestion process and actually air itself is needed for part of the actual digestive process so our view is that it's natural and normal what causes the issue is exactly what you said is that when there are changes in the way the process works at each of these three different levels we can start to see that there can be an excess of gas there can be bloating there can be pain um, and there can be sort of accompanying symptoms with it as well 
So for us, it's kind of very similar. We sort of, we start to, we, we break the digestive process down and we break it down to the sort of different stages and different levels. We then look at the functioning of what's going on within those levels. What's the normal functioning? And then because as part of the normal functioning, gas will be produced as a normal byproduct of these things. But what happens when it starts to go wrong and where are the influences on this? Um, so this is our this is our sort of our view as well. We sort of it's natural. There are issues if you suppress it. There are issues, you know, it, it sounds very bizarre, but some people actually suppress the need to pass wind. You know, they kind of there's a clenching of I, I feel really weird talking about this like this, actually. It's just kind of, you know, you just kind of have one of those moments where you're like, really? Am I actually recording and actually talking about passing wind? Um, but, but the, you know, some people actually what they do is they, you know, they cleanse the butt cheeks, the sphincter, they, they do these, you know, different things in order to prevent themselves from passing gas. And it causes problems. It really does cause problems. And it's a, it's a kind of like a pattern or a behaviour that causes issues much later on. So we, we tend to look at it as a natural process. When it goes wrong, we start to look at how the digestive process is working. What I want to do is discuss that today as we, you and I, Stanford, start talking more. Um, and I want to put in some sort of ideas around this. Um, and also what happens, the person's behaviour associated with it as well can also cause an issue too. So I want to look at these type of things. So you're right. I was the one who picked this topic. Um, one, because it's... Um, a very common and also important condition, but also I felt like we have a string of serious topics already. We need something to know, just release the pressure a little bit, so to speak. Um, but we've got some more top serious topic coming as well. So in the spirit of that, Colin, what will you do as a yoga teacher or a yoga therapist if one of your students or clients let some gas out in your class? When I, if you asked me this question 20 years ago, seriously, 20 years ago, I would have, I would have actually been laughing. You know, when you just, you know, when someone passes gas, I, I actually couldn't harm myself and I'd be like laughing and laughing and, and, or coming from a point of disgust, you know, so kind of like, oh my goodness, I cannot believe you've passed wind. So I, I would have gone in those two directions, but now what I see is that and recently this happened to me, I was working with a lady, she's 82 years old and um, she's bed bound and I go to her house and, and work with her and, and when we're doing some sort of movements, suddenly she, she passes gas and, you know, she, she's, she's very, very straight, you know, just that she doesn't blink an eye or anything like that and I don't, we just kind of get on with things and I think that's taken me, it's, it's taken me 20 years to get to a stage where I don't act like a small child um so what about you um i i have to say um not so much as a psychiatrist um i don't you know occupy space long enough for the patient to pass motion but actually when as a maternity doctor is a very very common occurrence because mm -hmm. when you are pushing the baby out during labor you know all the sphincters down below you know you try to relax them so that the baby can pass through um, so sometimes the ladies do pass a little bit of gas and even solid at times um, so it is very common and you know 
I think you are right. As a social etiquette, um, usually the patients will be more embarrassed than we are. And we just say, it's just normal. We've seen it literally all the time. Uh, I think if it happens to my yoga class, I would hopefully behave the same way. Just say, you know, it's a normal thing. Don't worry, just keep going, keep breathing. Um, you'll be fine uh, and I'll be fine. Um, because as we know, these things are built up because we ingest air as we eat. So that's one of the main areas where you get the... Um, uh, the gas uh, formed inside our bodies actually ingested it but also they produce on the other end as well in the large bowel we have a very rich microbe um, so different microorganism flora and they working very hard so sometimes they produce carbon dioxide sometimes they produce nitrogen sometimes they produce hydrogen in the sense that they break things from food from like the carbon hydrate or protein and sometimes they release a bit of methane or if there's any sulfur, especially if it's sulfur-rich food, that's usually where the smell comes from. So we know it is very common. So as a doctor, I don't really, you know, tell them off, so to speak. Uh, you know, it's just one of these normal things, and we see it all the time. Nothing, nothing to worry about. Um, so Colin, what do you think are the main problem? Let's just put it this way: with flatulence, then. It's an interesting question because I don't think there is a, there's a number of different things within what you've just said. Is it, what is the main problem with it? Firstly, if I take, let's say three case studies, let's say first case study, I have a, a, a lady who she says, I said to her, you know, how's everything going? And she says to me, um, everything's okay, but I'm, I'm just, I feel just, you know, my, my stomach's hard. I feel a little bloated. You know, I, I feel a little trapped here. I feel, you know, something's trapped. And so it begins from this comment, it starts to begin for me, the investigation process to be able to investigate what's going on. Is the trap when normal for this person or is it that actually this is a special condition? So the next case, case B, I have a, a gentleman who he says to me, look, I just don't like this feeling at all. I've never had this feeling the whole of my life. I'm 60 years old and I, I, I've just got, I've just got this trap wind and it only ever comes out at night. So he said, I can just feel it building up all during the day and it just, it, at night it comes out and there I am in bed and just this trap wind is coming out and out and out. And I then begin my investigation from this point to begin to understand a little bit more about him, about what's going on in his life. What is creating this? What's happening? And so I, I want to sort of talk about these different areas because often we have a problem because we want something to be normal. And what we consider to be normal is kind of interesting because it's often we a very observant in the way that we are. So I've got a third case study and I said to her, I'm doing this seminar on flatulence. She said, that's very interesting. She says, will it help me? Because I've had this, and I just had this gas and this gas and this gas. And I said to her, have you had this all your life? She said, yes, I've had it all my life. What can I do about it? And so for me, this is also the next starting point, is that what do we consider normal? What do we consider natural? What do we consider abnormal? What do we consider excessive? And I think this becomes the issue is that we don't have a line in the ground where we have a starting point to say, 
this is normal. And yoga answers this quite well and looks at this because it starts to look at someone's constitution. It looks at how their constitution is and actually how it looks at how their digestion is according to their constitution and says there's a normality within this based on your constitution. Does this make any sense, Stanford? Yeah, I, I'm picking up on the sense where you're distinguishing what is normal for bodily function, like human body, and what's normal in social setting. Because I guess you guys are here because, you know, you've seen our pose, you follow our weapon enough a little bit, but also no one really talk about farting out loud. And I think, I think that's partly what makes this abnormal. Like no one really openly discuss it, no one really openly do it, no one openly admitted to it. Yet this is just a normal human bodily function. And I think that is the part that makes the condition happens where you're right. I think when people kind of, cause you know, uh, we have two sphincters down below, just in case you're wondering um, and you don't know um, if you do, I do apologize if I'm repeating myself. Uh, around the rectum, we have um, an external sphincter, which is skeletal. So it's kind of like our biceps. So, you know, we can actively control it. We can actually use our mind to, you know, hold things in. And also there's a slightly higher one, which is an internal one. It's actually smooth muscle. So that you don't really have that much control of. So we can voluntarily uh, control what comes out, um, you know, social etiquette with our fear, with our mind, rather it's appropriate to do so or not, maybe because that's not a toilet around kind of thing. Uh, but when we just always voluntarily controlling something that should be let out, actually goes back in. So all the gas that I mentioned earlier on that is either produced in the large bowel or as we ingest it in them, it can either go out through the rectum or through our mouth. It, that's not really a third way that it can go, unfortunately. So if that it doesn't go down, first of all, you're going to have a lot of bloating because everything collected into the abdomen, but some will eventually escape or put the pressure back up. So you actually burp through your you know, stomach and esophagus, your food pipe. So I really like your definition about what is normal because normal for ourselves as a human being, as an animal, and we are part of the animal species and what is normal as a human being inside the social system or social um, setting is very, very different. And I think sometimes when, as you said, I have case study where people come into me and it's like, oh, I have headaches once a week. Can you do something about it? It's like, well, I, we can try, but at the same time, that, that sounds like that's something normal to your body. You know, you, you have something inside your body that tells you that once a week you need to change something or rest or something. If a patient comes to me, doctor, I fart five times a day, I think it's too much. It was like, if you've been doing that for the last 20 years, A, there's probably not that much to do, and B, there might have to be a level of acceptance that it's just going to continue for the next 20 years. Um, however, if that changes, like as I said earlier on, suddenly your tummy become a lot more painful, or your uh, bowel habit has changed, like you're suddenly getting a lot more diarrhea, a lot more constipation, or you even begin beginning to have blood in your stool and things like that, or become, becoming incontinent, start losing weight unexpectedly, or there's any signs of infection like uh, fever, feeling hot and cold all the time, then that might be the point where we have to do something about it. But otherwise, I would tend to say probably nothing much I can do. Colin, all make sense? It does. And what I really liked is that you've given the symptoms really well. You've, you've, you've highlighted a lot of the key points with regard to how we come to approach and look at this subject matter. I have a, a, a question 
um, because for me it's 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 normal um, and I, I break people down into three different areas um, one is that you you have irregular so you have a kind of like irregular type of digestion regular flatulence others we the next is we have a, a sort of a hyper digestion so someone's going to the bathroom all the time and the final is that there's kind of slow digestion um, and then you've got kind of what well, the fourth is normal digestion, but the question is what is normal. Um, so it, it's so you've got these kind of three areas, and they kind of almost link to constitution. And then there is a link into the digestive process and how and where air accumulates within the digestive process. And there's buildups of air. And you, you mentioned really well one of the areas, which is into um, into the intestines. And so we've got this, the first bit which we discussed was it actually as you're taking air into the mouth when you take food in. So this is the first place that this occurs. Um, and so Stanford, you were talking about this earlier. And for me, it's like from the mouth through to the anus, it still is an open tube. Does that make sense? So it's like from, yeah? Yeah, completely. It's, yeah. it's an open tube all the way throughout. So, so the mouth through the end is open tube. So you've got an open tube that runs right through the body. And yes, it's a complicated tube that runs all the way down. And, and it's kind of like a maze. And you've got this sort of bit that goes around like that and then down in this way. So you've got this kind of open tube. Then you've got someone taking some substance and pushing it into the tube. And they push that stuff into the tube and they just sort of start add some water to it, add some other bits and pieces, a bit of heat, other stuff and they push it down the tube and they sort of they've mulched it up a little bit and put it down and so you've got a number of different things involved you've got this this substance they're putting in you've got um air you've got liquids um you've got and for me the interesting thing is the substances that they're putting into the tube because there's a relationship between the substance and the tube and the tube's reaction to the substance and there's also reactions between the substances that are put in. So what I start to look at as part of the investigation when we've got our little case studies is that I'm starting to look at firstly how's the person, what's the ritual of eating the person does? Do they inhale their food? So they're like and, and you know it's gone you're like hang on a second I haven't even I haven't, I haven't even had one little bit yet and, then, and they're just kind of like has anyone got any more? And then, and then they're belching and then they've got really bad gas and you're like, okay, I kind of get that this is the kind of like the byproduct of the whole thing that's going down. So there is at the starting point for me and in, in the investigation is, is actually the, the, it starts with the tongue and the relationship between the tongue and the stomach with regard to the secretions that are going on and how the person chews their food, works with their food, swallows their food. And I'm starting to ask lots and lots and lots of questions to them because at the pre-digestion phase, so we've got this idea of prapaka, this idea of pre-digestion within yoga is that we're starting to look at the influence of taste on the whole thing. We're starting to look at the combinations of food that the person's taking. We're starting to look at those combinations of food with taste, with the person's constitution, with what's going on in their life as well. Does that makes sense uh, it, it makes sense I'm, I'm i'm laughing here i have to mute myself just because i you know the person who inhaled the food was me i, I was running all around all afternoon i literally have about 20 minutes to eat my dinner so if i do accidentally burp or let gas i do apologize and i'll try to mute myself tonight uh <laughs> but i think i think it's very interesting so what you said about the substance that you put in um western style doesn't 
you know, separate them quite intricately or, you know, complicatedly. I, I don't know which word is better. Um, but most certainly, uh, some food we know will encourage our body to produce more gas. Or, um, as I said earlier on, uh, things that will add the flavor or the smell to the gas uh, will be things like sulfur containing. So, especially for vegetables like um, broccoli, cauliflower, so that species of um, uh, vegetables, or uh, really strong scented spices like garlic, onion, they would tend to have their chemicals stay in our stool, which may, later on when you pass gas, they will get carried out as well. Um, so one thing that during my research that I got a little bit surprised, first of all, because I don't drink soft drinks, so I have no personal experience about it. But second of all, actually kind of make a lot of sense because a lot of people do drink them. It's a uh, soft drink, especially diet one, actually makes really bad case of gas. So first of all, the carbon hydrate, uh, carbon hydrate, the carbon dioxide already did dissolve into the drink. So you're already ingesting almost like a significant amount of gas into your body, uh, slightly more than usual. And also sorbitol, which is usually a sugar substitute or other uh, sugar substitute that they use. They are slightly complicated carbon hydrates that so they kind of bind in certain ways that they are not as energy producing as your normal sugar, your glucose and fructose, but still give you a fru uh, fruity taste. That actually activates the bowels a little bit more because your bowel or your, you know, your guts continuously trying to work on it a little bit more so you can be broken down despite the fact that it's chemically engineered so that it can't, um, which means that your bowel over move. So it's actually sometimes that can create more gas um, in your body. So uh, at the same logic, following the same logic, things like lactulose, which is one of the laxative, they also contain quite a lot of sugar. And sometimes that can actually give people quite a bad case of bloating as well. But hopefully with the laxative effects, usually you actually manage to relieve those gas. And the last one I'm going to mention is actually things like antibiotics, antifungal. So as I mentioned already, uh, we do have a natural flora, antibacterial flora, which means that when you use external things like antibacteria, antifungal, that changes the flora, it can change the microorganism that we kind of naturally co-inhibit it with. And if that balance is disrupted, sometimes it disrupts our natural processes as well, which is why I think some people will say if you have any bowel problems or flatulence, bloating problem, actually a little bit of a natural uh, microorganism like from your uh, biotic drinks, uh, yogurts and things like that, they sometimes can help because they put it back in, those healthy bacteria and um, organism back into us to try to maintain the balance once again. So those are the things I can think of from my point of view, uh, things that you can ingest other than just the air uh, that can build up gas. Colin, what will be the next step? Well, so for me, um, as part of my investigation process is that uh, firstly, I'll be looking at their constitution. So I'll be understanding with a constitution, no matter what happens, do they have irregular movement, irregular gas? Is it that there is an imbalance? So is it that they normally have normal levels of gas? And this is an imbalance. And often with regard to how you define so well the symptoms. So this idea of bloating, pain, distended, stomach, um, this tenderness, passing gas, bleed, sometimes even bleeding. But so there's, there's these kind of these, these, these beautiful byproducts, which actually they're symptoms, they're, they're showing us that there's an issue there. So first of all, I'm checking normality. I'm always checking their constitution. What is, what is normal for their constitution? So 
For one constitution, irregular is normal. For another constitution, hyper is normal. And for another constitution, slow is normal. And so I'm just checking what's going on there. The next thing is I start to ask them what they had to eat. So I start to begin to discuss, okay, what, so what did you have to eat earlier today? And so the first lady I spoke about, case study A, she is in the morning, she's holding her abdomen very hard. And I think I discussed this when I spoke about diet, is that she would have a smoothie every morning. And she had this smoothie every morning and smoothies cold and it's got all these wonderful um, list of ingredients in it. And she ran through the list of ingredients. She said, look, this is a very special smoothie. It's been designed for me. It's amazing. And I realized that she had a very special relationship with smoothie. But what I was seeing was basically with her constitution and the ingredients of the smoothie, which were raw ingredients. And here we have to understand someone's constitution and the way they work with cooked food and raw food is different. Some people can eat cooked food, some people raw food. So some people have the capacity to eat raw food, others do not. And the fact that they take raw food because other people in our society tell them what to take and they kind of go with it and go, well, it must be good for me. And actually it's creating all these knock-on effects into the body. So this one lady, I started to talk to her about what's happening and got the ingredients list. And I was like, I just want you to remove this one ingredient. Can you just remove this one, one ingredient for me? And the ingredient was the ingredient that was rough and it was hard. And as a symptom of rough, hard and cold, it increases the gas within the system because her body didn't have the ability to process it. And she removed this and everything settled. But I think, are you asking me to guess which which hard coal substance she has added into the smoothie? Is there a prize at the end? Yeah, there is a prize at the end. It's my favorite. It's my favorite substance to put into a smoothie. Um. So, so this is the the first case. So, so what I'm doing is I'm starting to because everything for me is it's unique, it's individual. It's not that there is a formula associated with gas. It's that, you know, this, this vehicle, this, this, this body that you've got, it, it, it's, it works like a cooking process, like a cooker and a stove. You know, it, it's, it means that you need to maintain a good fire within the system to allow the cooking to occur. You need to get a good look, liquids in the system to allow the cooking to occur. You need to look after the pot that you, allow you to put the ingredients in and so like a stove you've got these huge numbers of, of components that's in place for good cooking and I'm looking at each person looking at their construct looking at their stove and I'm looking at the ingredients they're putting into the stove and I'm seeing as it's bubbling away or is it simmering or is it smoking what's actually going on because if the pot hasn't got enough heat within it and the person puts wet logs on the fire you're going to get smoke and you're going to get a lot of gas that occurs. So I'm starting to look at the person, look at their digestive processes, looking at what they're eating. How is what they're eating associated with their metabolism, associated with their capacity to transform things and associated with the foods that they're eating? So it's almost that like I'm looking at all these different combinations together. And that's not influenced just by history, but also what they're going through right now. So I'm starting to look at all these different things. So this second case study, this, this guy I was speaking to, he's, he's going through a really tough time. And he's going through a really tough time. And I'm starting to ask him what he had to eat. 
He said, well, you know, for lunch, I had a piece of fish. I said, well, what else did you have? I had a few vegetables. Which vegetables did you have? Oh, I can't remember which vegetables I had. So it was lunchtime. You know, it's only two hours after lunch. What did you have? I can't remember. It's like, okay. And what did you have after that? He said, I had rice pudding. It's like, okay, so you had rice pudding. So you had fish, and there's vegetables you can't remember, and some rice pudding. What did you have after that? And then I had a peach. Okay. So I'm sitting there and I'm going, hang on a minute. We've got a couple of rules and, and the rules are about food combining. So we look at combinations of food and which combinations of food help and which don't help based on what's going on. Now this guy's going through a tough time. His energy is all over the place. His digestive processes are all over the place. And the combination of food that he's using, which was normally he's bulletproof with, because he's like, I've had this for the last 30 years and nothing like this has happened before. And I hear this so much. You know, people coming in like going, I can't cope, but I'm eating exactly what I've been eating for the last 30 years. So we have a, a piece of sort of advice that we don't combine any meat, and that includes fish, any meat with dairy. And we don't combine meat with fruit. And we don't combine fruit with dairy. So I'm sitting there as this guy's talking to me and I'm thinking he's been doing this for the last 30 years and he's got this big emotional situation going on. So for me, there's an influence of emotional digestion, which also is an aspect with regard to gas. And we'll come to look at this in a minute. And so I'm sitting there listening to this guy and going, oh my goodness, how am I going to convince him? Um, how is he going to believe me? <laughs> how is he going to understand what I want to explain to him, which is actually all these things are contraindicated with one another. Does that make sense, Stanford? Yeah, I'm just interested. So in that, in those rules, the meat and the dairy, if the dairy is kind of processed or fermented like a cheese, does that count? And also the meat and the fruits, if the fruit is cooked, does that count as well? Because I'm guessing tomato is a very common fruit, which we cook with meat all the time. Um, and also with dairy, you know, pizza. <laughs> Pasta. Um, so do, do, in terms of Ayurveda and yoga, does those rules apply to like a cooked fruit and also a uh, uh, processed or cooked dairy? Okay, cooked dairy, yes. So cooking chicken in milk, disaster. So French, no, no, then. It's a, it's a, big, it's a big disaster. Um, do, do, do you see what I mean? So you've got those kind of these ideas of these combinations which people put together. And you can see why it's so heavy for the digestive system, why the digestive system has such a problem with it. You know, because you're putting this cream, this cooked cream, this heaviness with a heavy piece of meat into the system, whereas actually we should be spicing the meat up to prepare it for the digestion. And all meat needs to be spiced in order for it to pass through the digestive system, to stimulate the digestive system. Okay, and fruit? Fruit, I don't know how to answer your question if I'm honest with you, but thank you. I will investigate it and get back to you because I actually don't know how to answer it. So buttermilk chicken is a no, but pizza so far is safe. I think pizza's in at the moment, okay? I'm, 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 I'm with you on pizza, but buttermilk chicken, we're done. Sorry, guys, I'm more investigating about my own diet more than for you guys, but you know. <laughs> 
Two birds, one stone. Um, so I, I, I like the whole um, the, the stove or the pot analogy because we kind of look at them the same way. We, we, we look at the digestive system, digestive system uh, as any elements within. So things like irritable bowel syndrome, inflammatory bowel disease, or if you've heard of Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, or if you are lateral intolerance, if you have celiac disease, or more acutely even you have a food poisoning, gastroenteritis, traveler sickness. These are the things that can make you your, um, passing gas more often or you become more bloated just because your um, bowels either overwork or underwork a little bit constipated a little bit as well. So these are kind of, once again, the things that we will ask. Now, but I'm very, very interested, Colin, sorry, I'm giving you more and more airtime. Uh, I will catch up later. But I'm really interested in the fact that you talk about constitution. As you said, some people have been doing the same thing 30 years and I had no problem. All of a sudden something changed and they start having the problem. Is that because the system can no longer take these like no-nos, like these rules breaking? Or is that actually because the constitution has changed a little bit? Or a combination of both? So for me, it's a combination of both. You see, what happens is that um, there's, there's a what we've eaten early on in our life, um, which becomes a habit or a pattern, the advice is in the end of our life, we need to not eat at all. Um, so this is the first thing. The most difficult thing for us is that we want to be told exactly what to eat and have it locked down to a T. But excessive gas is a way of showing us that there is a reaction in our body in a particular way and it's not working. So something isn't working and it could be that it's not working physically, it's not working energetically, it's not working in our minds, something's not working emotionally for us. And so for me, change in circumstance can come in any which way, shape or form. It can be with regard to age. So what's happening early in life, what happens midlife, what happens end of life, the diet needs to change. And the relationship with diet also needs to change. But the difficulty we have is that we want our diet to remain the same. We want to feel there are things we really love and we like and we've always had, and we then refer back to them. But we don't want to admit the effect they actually have on us. So for me, it's, it's kind of like a combination of those two things. Um, and I think that, that food, time of life, tolerances, intolerances and changes are all part of the investigative process in helping someone get through excessive flatulence, excessive wind, um, excessive burping. I remember there was one lady who I met who we, we, you know, we went through a diet, we went through absolutely, I mean, every single thing, but she would just belch and belch and pass wind and belch and belch and belch. And it's to do with not just the way the body physically processes things, but also the way that it emotionally processes things as well. So there's a, a kind of like almost a mirror at a deep level of what's happening within the body to what's then the body's actually doing on the surface so I've seen very simple cases where it's just as simple as okay take that green hard rough ingredient out and there's success to other cases where it's like actually because of life changes there becomes intolerances to 
other situations where it's it, it's in a situation that needs investigating and it needs working on in order to reset. And for me, the investigation is the exciting bit, the asking people questions, you know, them to be aware about exactly how they're interacting with themselves, how they're interacting with their food, what the ritual is with regard to food, what the ritual is with regard to eating, and also Stanford, as you mentioned, with regard to cooking. So how they look after the stove, the intestines, how they look after the pot, the stomach, how they look after the fuel, which is the digested food that they're starting to put into the system, how they're starting to work with air, too much air, too little air, which is the peristalsis action that's needed, how they come to work with water, and how they, as a cook, maintain their metabolic fire. So for me, these are all the kind of components that I'm looking at, and they're, where, they're the places where gas is formed, as part of this but if things go well actually it cooks well but if not we start to get byproducts of excessive gas and so the being a detective I'm starting to look at these things I'm starting to ask questions about like I said the food about the way people eat their lifestyle what they're doing because if what's happening is people are running around a lot and they've got a constitution that is such like it runs around a lot and it likes to do lots of different things like this and they eat their food in a very runny round way it will create lots of gas so can I change certain rituals can I work with the way that they're interacting with their food so this becomes the first step for me um, what about yourself Stanford because you mentioned and I, what I really liked is that you mentioned about probiotics are there any other things that you've investigated that really can help with regard to gas? Um, so from my research and also a little bit from the Chinese medicine side, actually abdominal massage um, actually can help because, you know, mechanically you're helping the bowel to move and release the gas when they're supposed to. So in Chinese medicine, they believe that if you don't breathe deeply enough into your abdomen, so like your your yeah, abdomen, your navel, your tummy blow out a little bit as you breathe in because of the increased pressure and it kind of sucked in a little bit as it decreases pressure as the diaphragm draws up. Um, that is actually a natural process to massage all the abdominal organ. So if that doesn't happen, then a, a normal build up of gas or a normal either release or unrelease of the gas can happen. So you can do this with your hands as well. You know, the large bowel um, go kind of clockwise, or I'm drawing it on my screen, which might be anti-clockwise in your way. But anyway, so it goes clockwise from the lower right-hand corner, the large intestine to the left lower right-hand corner, but it goes through the top. So if you actually do a little bit of uh, self-massage using your hands, sometime uh, gently, especially if you, um, you know, don't have any other previous surgery and any bowel problems that may cause issue by external massaging that sometimes can help uh, and third way they can do abdominal massage is actually just by exercising you know most exercise if you activate your core if you do a bit of twisting these just external skeletal muscles once again these are the muscles that you voluntarily can control they can actually help you to um, massage the internal organs a little bit so your bowels and all your digestive system get a little bit more massage so these are the ways that can help um, another one i'm going to mention is stress uh, as we know um, now guts has been said is the second brain 
may have been the third because there are quite a few of them now. Um, so the more stressed you are mentally, the more stressed your bowels most likely going to be. Uh, I mean, we're going to talk about irritable bowel syndrome later down the line, but stress is definitely one of the main causes of it, uh, as well as just generally disrupted bowel function. So uh, part of doing that actually is part within our advice of telling people to eat small meal, chew thoroughly and eat them slowly. Uh, more and sometimes more regularly in some way that almost kind of like a mindful um, mindful uh, process of enjoying your food a little bit more like the you know food that I inhaled half an hour ago an hour ago I didn't enjoy them as much even though they're delicious because uh, they cooked by uh, our family um, but actually just the process of enjoying what you're doing at the time actually helps you to relax your body as well as help your digestive system because you will chew them properly. Um, Heidi is asking about kombucha. Uh, yes. Um, so the gas that's contained in kombucha is just in case you're not reading the comments. So she's asking if it's good for the gut health uh, because it always seems to be containing gas. So the gas contained in kombucha is actually relatively minimal unless you get a really, really fizzy version you can get out um, on supermarket if you have homemade one because I have them myself they compared to things like beer compared to your fizzy drink the gas is minimal kombucha should be helpful because they are natural um, micro uh, microorganism around your um, around your environment now but you have to be very careful because this is brewing this is uh, you cultivating microorganisms so the temperature has to be right the timing has to be right you want to cultivate the right kind of microorganism if it smells really funny or you have one and you body really react to it there may be a chance that some bad organism inside as well like the bad mold that you might want to throw that batch so you know, kind of a little bit of a caution sign, just be careful. Not all kombucha will be good. You kind of have to try and err a little bit. Um, and one last one that I can think of that may help or that not so much help, but influence about your gas forming and releasing is because Colin, earlier on, you have a plane passes you. Uh, so we all have that lovely uh, <laughs> propellers. Um, actually, changing of altitude can change your gas production and release as well. So um, if you go to onto a plane or slightly higher altitude onto a mountain, the air pressure increases, which means including all the gases inside your body as well. So there will be slightly higher pressure for them wanting to be released. So you might find yourself burping a little bit more, you know, having the urge to pass wind a little bit more if you're on the plane or if you are climbing up a quite a higher mountain like Kilimanjaro. Uh, as you come back down, landing onto sea level, that tend to resolve as well. Um, satisfied with my answer, Colin? over the moon and you also gave me an idea for jay what about jay for jet lag i love it i i i, I get multiple type of jet lags so i have plenty 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 of experience to share. you see it for, for me all of these byproducts of gas you know because the main person the main purpose of digestion is to alter foodstuff so that they're actually fit for absorption into the body and so for me, I'm starting to look at all the processes, how all these processes are happening. And when you're working with someone, you're starting to see how, what, what, is, what is going on with regards to the process. So, because proper digestion is affected by, it's affected by heat, movement, moisture, and time. So it's affected by these things. And if you think about what's possible with the body, and I love the way that you talked about abdominal breathing, 
it means that what's happening is that there is a relationship between the top part of the body, this top part here, and the lower part of the body as well. So there's a relationship between these two points. And then there's this middle point where the diaphragm is, where the stomach is, where the spleen on one side is, where the liver on the other side is, where the, you've got this kind of this, this area here and this middle area. And quite a lot of the time there is a, a misconnect between the top and the bottom part of the body. There isn't um, the way that the, the top and the bottom are working coherently with one another. And the other thing that I've discovered quite a lot of as well is that it, it's possible to get this communication much more coherent over time and therefore reduce the way that gas is within the system. And it means that actually with physical positions in yoga and breathing, what we can start to do is we can start to do a number of things is that we can increase and decrease pressure in different organs in different places by using different positions. And whether we use those dynamically or whether we get someone to stay in a position, we're choosing the positions and the order of the positions in order to change the pressure in the body. Because this is what we can do with a position. I can change pressure. I can either increase pressure at a point or decrease pressure. For example, if I lie on my back and bring one knee into my chest and stake one leg away, there's an increase of pressure on one side, a decrease of pressure on the other side. If I add breathing into it, it changes the way this is working as well. Now, the order of how we come to put these things into the system and is dependent on the person and what's going on and the relationship between the upper part, the lower part and the middle part of the body, plus their symptoms, what they're giving because sometimes what's happening is that the fire is out of control in the body and there's a rash on the skin there's you know there's hard stomach there's you know lots and lots of wind it, it means that we have to then begin to take everything back into the center of the body put pressure in the abdomen in lots of different ways use breathing like Stanford said of getting the diaphragm moving so that the abdomen comes to move as well so for me starting and looking at how to work with someone based on what's going on with them and beginning to use the tools of yoga just to begin to sort of almost reset the way the system is working or should work for them to bring normality back to them so let's say for the case of the gentleman with the hard abdomen um with him there's an issue right the way around the center of the body um, this this center area just beneath the ribs and you can see it with regard to the vertebrae at the back so the vertebrae at the back are starting to moving outwards as well the abdomen is really really distended and quite hard and so the approach with him is a combination of things it's a combination of working to open and close the body so there's this capacity to just again open and close open and close trying to get communication into the body again so that what's happening is that everything can start to work through the body applying pressures on different sides adding different things like you mentioned like rotations and stuff like this and getting him to move dynamically staying dynamically staying and just using combinations of stuff in this way right the way through the practice to help with allowing everything to start to move through and in the case of him in one month it's got much better already but again it's it takes time it takes quite a time it's not something that you know you fix overnight and then we add other things as well so with regard to 
foods and herbs. There are certain foods and certain herbs that can really help. So something like um, cumin water helps with digestion. So you, you get the cumin seeds, you put a few cumin seeds into some water, you take it to a boil for 20 minutes, you drain the seeds out, you, you then let the water cool, you start to drink the water, it helps with the digestive process, it helps to reduce um, flatulence byproduct within the system. Some people recommend chewing cumin seed as well, but that how was that too much? Um, I think it's quite strong. I think it's quite strong. I, I, I prefer the water approach, um, but I, yeah, I, I, yeah, it's a similar thing. And cardamom? And cardamom helps with regard to digestion as well. Really, really helps with regard to digestion. And then you've also got other things like ginger and, and the use of ginger as well with regard to and raw ginger and cooking, you know, just, just cutting raw ginger up, putting it into water, hot water helps digestive process. So there's stuff like this that helps. And then there's also Ayurvedic herbs like tripola, you know, tripola, T-R-I-P-H. Quite sour one, isn't it? Yeah, so triple it means three fruit. So again, it really helps with the digestive process. So we've got lots of different approaches and things like putting sesame oil, warm sesame oil on the abdomen, you know, to settle any imbalance of movement in the abdominal area, just applying it on the surface afterwards. It, it, it really, really helps. It, it, I mean, don't know how it works, but it really helps with regard to the reduction of flatulence. So for me, it, it, the investigation is the first point. Rather than kind of like all guns blazing, let's do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. It's about really listening. It's about understanding people's lifestyle, understanding what's going on with their minds, understanding what's going on with their emotions, understanding how things normally are with them. Um, because sometimes what you'll get is you'll get someone that will come to you and you know what? They've been trying to fix this for 35 years and to actually have the relief that it's normal is really helpful and it, the mistake i could make is to kind of go yes i can really help i need you to do this 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 no i need to actually investigate i need to really be really clear feel the pulse go through check everything double check things see what happens with the food combinations, start to look at how they're interacting with themselves, how they're interacting with their food, what patterns, behaviours, what changes are going on, what chemical changes have happened with them, what emotional changes have happened with them. Start to understand all of these things and then work with them slowly with practices over time and see and measure the gradual effect. So this is my... That's really beautiful because I, I think I think the consciousness about how long a problem takes to develop and then how long you should take to, oh well, I say should, but we were encouraged to take to uh, resolve it is very good. Like if something takes 10 years to develop, so you know that the problem's been layered and built on time over time, days over days, months over months, and then year up become years it will only kind of be sensible to at least, you know, expect yourself to take about 10%, maybe even 50%, and sometimes even 100% uh, same amount of time to resolve this issue. So that's a lot of the time, no magic blue bullet. Or if there is one, usually it will come with slightly more significant side effect. Mm -hmm. Now, one other herb that I'm going to add in, because um, it's from my own practice, uh, we use it quite a lot, actually, um, 
post-surgically after cesarean section, after any abdominal or gynecological operation, or sometimes just after birth itself uh, during my experience as a maternity doctor, because um, a lot of the time after you have given birth or after the ladies have given birth, the bowel kind of go into a little bit of a rest period. So it stopped moving as much. And obviously there will be a build of gas and they become a little bit colicky and quite uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So at this time we often use peppermint tea or peppermint um, oil. Uh, mm -hmm. Colin can add in the comments, what do you think about this herb? But we find them to be quite useful as well. So that's something that we kind of encourage them to use. Mm -hmm. And if there is a true um, stasis of the bowel, meaning like there's really not a lot of movement, uh, not quite a herb, um, and it's a little bit controversial because earlier on I would have said um, one of the ways it can swallow more air is by chewing gum, another one sucking uh, through the top, uh, the tip of your pen, uh, which I guess a lot of schoolboy like to do. Um, but actually, when your bowels really stay uh, stasis, having a real state of resting and not moving chewing gum actually can help because the movement of the mouth, the saliva, the emotions, the taste on the tongue actually really stimulate the bowel a little bit. So again, that can be helpful, but only in specific con specific conditions. Um, if you use it in general, sometimes actually can make the gas problem worse because you end up ingesting even more air into your system. Um, so to end, I think we're closing towards the hour mark, so I may have to start wrapping up. Um, I think my takeaway today, just because in the spirit of fun, but also making everyone slightly more miserable, will be stay off fizzy, fizzy drink. Or if you have to choose a fizzy drink, stay off the diet version. That will make your bloating and gas slightly better. Um, Colin, can I end with one last question to you? Uh, which is, if you feel like the urge of passing wind or farting, is it better to hold it in or would you encourage us to let it out? It all depends on the situation I was in. Ah, sorry. <laughs> I'm joking. Um, of course, it's of course to let it out at all costs. Even if you're meeting the Queen. That's exactly what I was thinking. When you asked that question, I thought, what did I do? Okay, yeah, I'd have to let it out. Yeah, I'd have to. Um, yeah, it's it's, in, it's it's interesting because excess of gas is really it, it, it's it's a, it's a sign that there is a weakness in the digestion somewhere. It's a sign that there is an issue in the metabolism somewhere, and it's also perhaps a sign that there is something going to go on with immunity as well. So, for me. It is better out than in, 100%. It's also a natural process that happens. It's something natural that, it, that occurs and that we shouldn't be ashamed of. And I don't think we need to blame it on the dog anymore. <laughs> I agree 100%, especially since I don't have a dog. Or a cat. I can't really blame <laughs> on, you know, them. I do have a teddy bear, but I don't think anyone will believe me if I blame it on him. You can, you can turn it. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe not. Or maybe they will start, you know, sending me back to the hospital as a patient. So uh, there's, there's, uh, there's another piece of advice that is, is kind of, that I really like as well, is that when there is an excess of gas, sometimes I get people to only eat cooked food. So make sure that they remove all raw foods from their diet, only eat cooked food. 
So it almost it helps to to you know with cumin, it, just to keep cooked food cooked food because it, it just to remove every aspect of raw food because it really helps with gas. That reminds me. Are you going to tell us what's that cold, hard, rough vegetables that we shouldn't have put into this movie? It couldn't be kale, could it? I'm going to try and get it into every seminar ah, we do. Can't be kale. It can't be kale. Good, because I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like the taste of kale to begin with. However, it's a very good source of iron, <laughs> I have to say, but I don't like them. What if you can actually absorb it? Let, let's save that for another <laughs> webinar, shall we? <laughs> um, so what's come out today for you? What's the kind of the main thing for you? Uh, so my main takeaway will be breathe deeply, eat slowly, and if you have to drink fizzy drink, choose the full fat version. Can I say thank you so much to all of you for coming this evening. Um, I hope you really enjoyed this in the, in the way that I have as well. And I'm really looking forward to seeing you in a few weeks time when we're going to be discussing gender dysphoria. Um, a very interesting subject matter. I'm really excited to be talking about this with Stanford. So when are we doing? Three weeks time. Three, three weeks time, yes. <laughs> yeah. um, so thank you so much to all of you for coming um, and see you all in three weeks time. Thank you. Lovely. Good night. <laughs>